Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. want to thank first Ken, Quiet, Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Uh, you can find him if you Google Nail Storytellers, and um, you'll find him and his website and, and all of his material fascinating, an amazing way of preserving history uh, before the written word. So sort of dovetails into tonight. Um, I have a really, really exciting show tonight. It, it's, um, I'm very excited about it. Uh, it's a topic that I've been um, fascinated with for a very, very long time. I have Edward Malkowski here with me. He is a historical researcher with 25 years of research and six books to his credit so far. More in the works, I understand. And during the last 30 years, there's been a significant increase in interest about ancient history and the origins of civilization, much of which centers around Egypt and the pyramids. Tonight, we're going to be looking into some of the myths in ancient histories and find the truth that truth is often a bit stranger and, and more enlightening than we have been led to believe. We're going to be looking into um, his book, Ancient Egypt, 39,000 BCE, The History, Technology, and Philosophy of Civilization. Now, traditional Egyptologists have long resisted the notion that the archaeological achievements of the ancient Egyptians required the existence of a much more sophisticated technology than would have existed at that time. Yet, no records exist explaining how, why, or who built Egypt's megalithic monuments and statues. The ancient Egyptians did, however, record that their civilization resided in the shadow of a kingdom of gods whose reign ended many thousands of years before their first dynasty. Just what and who was this civilization X that antiquity's most accomplished people revered as gods? I have, um, I have Edward here, and, and I have to tell you, first off, his book is spectacular. Um, check it out. It's on Amazon, uh, and the photographs in it are just phenomenal. They will blow your mind, but please wait until after the show to check it out. 
Um, and the show will be up in archive, of course, on YouTube later on tonight. And if you enjoy what you hear and see, please make sure that you subscribe to it. We are pushing real hard to get to our 1,000 subscribers, and we're awfully close. So your help would be greatly appreciated. Edward, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here tonight. Hi, Barbara. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, listen, your book your book reminded me of fascination from when I was in the fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and I discovered King. Well, I didn't discover it, but King touched. Yeah, they were tombs back then, weren't they? They, they were yeah. pyramids were tombs. <laughs> yeah, there there were. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Today, when people talk of ancient history, it's usually history I can remember, which is scary as heck. Um, what was it that, you know, everybody I find that, that does a great deal of research into into the ancient Egyptian stuff, and, and, you know, you're certainly one of those because most of your books do deal with that. I mean, my goodness, you got uh, Sons of God, Daughters of Men, Before the Pharaohs, The Spiritual Technology of Ancient Egypt, Ancient Egypt, 39,000 BC, and the return of the Golden Age. So, so you're kind of, you're, you're kind of, tucked into that particular time frame as well. I have found that people who get this tucked in usually have a calling. So, when did your fascination begin? Uh, I was eight years old. Wow. <laughs> it was it was it was it was one of these days uh uh to kind of kind of add to that a little bit uh, I was born a truth seeker and a writer uh-huh. it just comes nat- it just comes nat- naturally to me and when I was eight years old uh one one morning in nineteen sixty nine june I woke up like you know I always do and the sun was shining and it was my kind of day and I went into the bathroom to wash my face comb my hair like my mom taught me, and I was looking in the mirror, I had this this sudden epiphany, and I distinctly remember it. Uh, I had this rush in my head of, you know, why am I me? Why aren't I Randy Walcott or Roger Moe? They were two of my boyhood friends. Why am I me? And and it was it was kind of a shocking thought that ran through me. And I just stared in the mirror for, I don't know, 30 seconds, not very long. And then I shook it off and went outside and played. But it stuck with me forever. Uh, my mom uh, grew up a Baptist and was always a Baptist, still is, as a matter of fact. She's uh, almost 89, and she's still doing fine. And she would she would read me uh, parts of the Bible, Uh while I was eating breakfast, this is uh, junior high and high school, mm-hmm. and I got I got fascinated by the Book of Genesis, uh, specifically the whole Noah flood story, where uh, the the intro to to the Noah flood story is kind of kind of disjointed from the actual uh, narration of the flood itself, because it's talking about there were giants in the earth on those days, there was the Nephilim, and then it starts talking about there were men of renown, heroes of old. And, you know, I said, wait a minute. book is already ancient. But they're talking about another people that are even more ancient. Mm-hmm. So, so that really got me going. And, and then, oh, it's another, not, not quite 10 years later. I was in college at the time, uh, 80, 81. 
Uh, me and my friends, we went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, I, the movie was fabulous. I loved the movie. And, and, and I was just mesmerized by the movie. And we were, when we were out after the movie having drinks and talking about it, uh, I, just, I, just, I just said it out loud uh, to a friend named Barbara, uh, Barbara Leffelholtz. And I said, I'm going to write a book like this one of these days. And, uh, well, of course, then, you know, I was, I was a few years later, I got married, had a family, had kids, had a career going in, uh, in finance and in software development and kind of sort of forgot about it. But in the early 90s, uh, what really kicked it off real hard, uh, I can't remember if it was 93, 94, somewhere in that area, uh, John Anthony West, uh, aired his uh, documentary, uh, The Mystery of the Sphinx, on NBC. And that blew me away, and I've never looked back since. <laughs> but, well, you, you've but had I good fortune. Know, yeah, I want to know what actually happened, because history and the past are actually two different animals. Okay? Mm-hmm. His, history, and, and this is actually a bad thing about history, because because each generation, you know, tries to rewrite history. They go back and look back and they say, well, what should we change? And 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 this has been going on for a very long time. And uh, I want to know, you know, there's a gazillion different ideas on our ancient ancestors and on the mythology of our ancient ancestors. Okay, I want to know what actually happened in the past to inspire these myths and then why the big change in around around three or four hundred BC there's this huge change that the whole myths kind of stop and then our mode of thinking the reason the logic here I'm referring to the Greek philosophers of the third and fourth century uh, that mode of thinking becomes commonplace, and then we move forward in time with, you know, the Industrial Revolution and, and all that stuff. So I want to know just simply what happened and why. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense, and, and yet so many people, um, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, I look at the Great Pyramid at Giza, and I look at the copper tools, and I say, no way. And and yet history books have you know talked about ramps. They've talked about all sorts of different ways for it to have been built, none of which made sense to me. And I think what what finally got to me, I, I taught school for 25 years. So the teacher in me looks at all this and and says, but we're teaching our children something that that is not true. And how can well, yeah. the history you know the how can the history books continue to repeat this? I, I, I'd rather they say we don't know. <laughs> right. That well, would make well, more the, sense to me. This is why most young people hate history because it's not taught correctly. Uh, his, mm-hmm. History is is a very boring, very date oriented, time oriented, uh, uh, progression oriented uh, discipline, and you know it's that's what they teach our kids. That's what that's what they want to teach our kids. And if, if I would happen to be a, a professor of history in college or, or a history teacher in high school, I'd probably lose my job because I wouldn't be following the paradigm they want me to follow. 
<laughs> well, you no, I, I was lucky. I taught special ed, so I wasn't given a, you know, uh, an instruction as to what to teach. It was just teach them and keep them quiet. Cause yeah, exactly. I teach, exactly. I started teaching special ed in um, in the '60s when it was just starting to be special ed. So it was like just keep them quiet. <laughs> and and so keep them quiet, but, pass them forward, right? Oh yeah, and and but but when I when I look at this material, I've always been fascinated with ancient Egypt, and and you know of late because I've been fortunate enough to be able to interview wonderful people. I, I keep saying it. I think it's older than this. I think the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid are, are older than the time frame given. I do believe that they predate the flood, and 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 that there was another culture um, there. I, which and, flood? And though? they weren't. Barbara, yeah. which flood? Oh well, there's, let's see. There's several. They predate. Yeah, that's true. All right, it predates. Um, the last flood, for sure. The the one that, that you know, went away about 10,000 years ago, 10, 12,000 years ago. Well, the most recent flood was, was around 3,000 B.C. Mm-hmm. That was the actual, uh, the, the actual Noah's flood, that story, the whole Gilgamesh story, which is the actual true story. And that, yeah. that's an interesting point right there, because, because, uh, Noah's flood is really the story in the Bible is not really very long. It, it may be I don't know three or four thousand words, uh, but when you go to when you go to the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, the, the Sumerian story that goes back to you know the, the fourth millennium, there there you have a full story. You have about twenty five thousand words. So there's a whole lot more to read in Gilgamesh as there is in the Bible, and it's it's really kind of easy to see. That that the Bible story was was you know is uh, is a, a a descendant of the of the Gilgamesh story. So yeah. you're talking about you're talking about the flood going back to around uh, 10,000 BC. Yes, is when you when you think the pyramids were built or somewhere in that area. Well, I'm I'm thinking that. Let me put it in a in a better context. I do believe that the pyramids were built. Before the last mass destruction, the mass extinction, the last mass extinction. So there have been five of them, theoretically, five big ones anyhow. And I think the right. pyramid was built before the last one. Yes, yes. I think they knew it was coming. That's what I. Oh think. yeah. And there and there's there's, there's actually some good uh, uh, some good. Uh, Arab historians that that verify that uh, King Sorid, oh one Arab, one Arab his, uh, historian says that King Sorid had a dream that a planet was coming close to Earth and that he needed to build the pyramids. Have you ever heard that before? Well, just from your book, yeah. Yeah. So so. Uh, you know, well, it's also there is uh, in Thebes, there's the Valley of the Kings. 
Now, what's really mm-hmm. interesting about the valley about the Valley of the Kings is it, it actually is a valley. It's actually kind of a bowl. There's there's mountains, not really mountains, but hills. There's there's large hills around this valley, and when you look at it, it looks like someone uh, broke through. I mean, I mean, there's lots of rock. They removed lots of rock to make an entrance into this bowl-like valley, and then they put, you know, the tombs in the valley of, of you know, the famous kings that we know of. But if you stop and think about it, and and look at the Valley of the Kings the way it's designed, okay, it does not look like it was initially designed for tombs. It looks like it was initially designed to be, for lack of better words, a fallout shelter. And then later ah. on, it was repurposed. Then later on, it was repurposed to be a, to be a graveyard. Well, isn't isn't one of the reasons they didn't find King Tut's tomb was because water had had you know there had been backwash and, and stuff of, of water that had filled in all of the area around where his tomb was. Correct, correct. King Tut uh, was a, was a was a, a young man when he died, and uh-huh. they they hastily got a got a tomb for him and buried him, and then yeah, there was there were those floods coming in coming through, and it kind of messed up the the scenery. So yeah, his his tomb became a <laughs> hidden tomb where the where the the grave robbers couldn't find it, and and yeah, it's fortunate for us that that happened. Well, I just because you're you're into this stuff. <clears throat> one of the reason, one of the things that I have always believed was that there was another chamber that they hadn't discovered yet, and they are now saying that that they think that there is another chamber in there. Um, have you done any research on that? No, no, I have not done any research on that. But I don't doubt that that's true because uh, here again, the the Arab historians. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a physician. He was actually a doctor. This is around the the 10th or 11th or 12th century. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, he was living in Baghdad, and he moved to Cairo. Uh, of course, this is well after the, the Arab invasion, so so uh, that the Arab state had already been set up, and they already had their own civilization going. Anyway, this doctor moved from uh, from Baghdad to Cairo, and when he arrived in Cairo. I mean, even at that time, this is a thousand years ago, the pyramids were actually famous because this doctor wanted to go check out the pyramids. And that was one of the first things he did when he arrived in Cairo. And uh, on Giza, he said that the ruins of the Giza Plateau were a day's walk in each direction. Wow. Now all that all that is underneath probably I don't know a quarter mile or a half mile of sand now, but yeah, that's what he said. So I don't doubt it. Well, when um, now now it's accepted that the Great Pyramid did have um, a coating on it that that of course has been stripped away and used all over the place. But that when Napoleon came through Egypt, um, a lot of that coating, a lot of the, um, the 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 white the the white granite was it whatever it was the, the whatever the coating it was, was limestone was on the, limestone it was, yeah it was what, it was limestone the limestone had 
hieroglyphs all over it. And that there there was a um, he had a scholar with him who spent a, a decade at least copying all of the hieroglyphs down. He couldn't read them, but he he copied them all down. Now I don't know whatever became of his notebooks because I did research this, and there were notebooks that he did, you know, that he, that that were definitely um, compiled. And and then of course the Egyptians started to make patios and pave their buildings and stuff and and all of the sheathing is gone, but that in many places in Egypt that if you if you actually have found a piece that was part of that sheathing that if you look on the other side of it there are hieroglyphs and and I I think in some place it said that on the outside of the pyramid were written you know the mysteries and all sorts of and knowledge right. and everything. And, right, right. Um, well, that's 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 long before Napoleon, but but yeah, you're correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know no, there were notebooks. Go ahead. Well, it's, 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 it's to the best of my knowledge, uh, the, the casing, the limestone casings of the Great Pyramid, they were they were removed uh, when 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 the Arabs rebuilt uh, Cairo after an earthquake. So, so that the hieroglyphs, and yes, that that's correct. Uh, from what I understand, there was a hieroglyphic writing on all four sides of the Great Pyramid, but that was removed sometime around the tenth or again the same time period, tenth, eleventh, twelfth century. That was removed so they could use the stone uh, to to rebuild Cairo. So, oh God! Don't so you wonder? There, there's, well, yeah. I, I mean, if you know, if that did exist into modern times where the hieroglyphs were there, certainly someone would have copied all them down. And I, I don't know. I don't know I don't know anyone that, that has any 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 uh, hieroglyphic writings from the actual casing stones of the pyramid. Yeah, I, it, it would be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it because, was my because, late husband that yeah. It, it was my late husband that told me about it and he gave me a source and I just you know, it just kind of went it didn't go in one ear and out the other. It stayed in my head for a while, so I remembered it. But I, I can't remember right. um, where, because I, I, I swear to you, he said someone had notebooks of some of the hieroglyphs for sure. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. I have his his book. Uh, I have Napoleon's book. It's a great big thick book that he had done when he was uh-huh. in Egypt, and I, I I've never seen anything about. Uh, the hieroglyphs on, on the Great Pyramid there. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff from all kinds of temples and places and pyramids. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a great big thick book, but no, nothing nothing about the hieroglyphs. Wow. Well, the the pictures that you've got in your book of, of the, the rubble, and, and, you know, you call it rubble, but some of those stones are, they're bigger than, than a man. They're huge. They're Yes, yes. But when I you mean, look at it from a distance, it's rubble. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that actually that actually surprised me quite a bit uh, because uh, you know I, I had watched just about every documentary on ancient Egypt and the pyramids, uh, mm-hmm. starting in in the in the early to mid '90s, you know, all the way through, you know, for for ten to fifteen years, and and, and I, I had never seen the Giza Plateau like it really exists because they, they they only show you what they what they seem to want to show you on TV. You know, you get pictures of, of, you know, the pyramids, you get pictures of the Sphinx and inside and stuff, but they never pan back and show you 
what's on the ground everywhere. And just the amount of granite, of, of red granite on the ground is phenomenal. It's 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 actually mind-boggling that that there 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 was a lot going on there at one time for sure. I, absolutely, and there's no way that as as advanced as as Egypt became um, technologically. Um, now there is there there is a hieroglyph in I, I I don't know whose tomb it is, but it does appear that there was a they were holding a light bulb, so. Um, they, they technologically, they were wise. They were they were knowledgeable. They certainly understood astrology. But but to have the ability to to cut those stones and and um, create the the huge statues that they did, they just, I mean it it looks like like it should have been done. Like today, except we don't have the tools to do half that stuff. Well, well, no, no. Let's. I'm a big pic. I'm a big picture guy. Okay. Let's look at uh-huh. just the Great Pyramid for for sixty seconds. Okay. okay. If if we were to build the Great Pyramid today, and there's there, there there's actually a, a report that I got a hold of. It, it was done in Europe. It was a it was a, a corporate construction company that 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 did this uh, cost estimate. If we were to build the Great Pyramid today, okay, and use the exact same materials the ancient Egyptians used. This here I'm referring to the actual red granite. And I'm referring to the white, I think it's uh, Turek limestone for the casing stones, you know, uh-huh. and the cheaper limestone for the, for the core of the pyramid. If we were to use those same materials, you know how much it would cost for us to build one great pyramid? It's a staggering Billions? number. Yeah. $400 billion. That's what it would cost. Okay. Now, if if we if we were able to cheat and substitute materials, in other words, dump the red granite, dump the special limestone, just use you know whatever we can come close you know to mimic that, we can uh-huh. get that four hundred billion dollar price tag down to about forty forty billion dollars. But still, forty billion dollars for this one building. Okay, if a civilization is going to do this. They have a very good reason why they're doing it, and it's not going to be a tomb. There's no doubt about that. Right. Because spending that kind of money, taking taking those – I'm going to be an economist here for, for just a second. Taking that kind of money out of your society and putting it into a building, you have to have a good reason, and it has to have utility for the civilization. Because if, if 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 there's no good reason to do that, you're not going to have a civilization any longer, because the people will rebel and find another king. Well, not only that, but the manpower that they're saying it took is is unconscionable. It just yes can't have been yes and and well, well shoot, there's problems with that too. Okay, let's say that they just use pure manpower, just just men and arms and legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these stones, you can't get enough men around them to get the stones where they're supposed to go. 
That's another big well, problem. Well, not, not only that, but going timeline back, theoretically, this was built before the wheel. So, I mean, how could they possibly, you know, they have pictures of, um, you know, men dragging, you know, some of the movies and things like that. They they don't they don't talk about you know them using any sort of carts or anything yet yet in some of the later um, kingdoms they did have chariots they did have wheels but nothing that could, right. could carry anything of the of the weight of um, of what those stones were you know to say nothing of you know getting them from where they were they right. were quarried but so so I'm all with you I'm all in with your your Civilization X, absolutely all in, because it it makes perfect sense that whoever created the the Great Pyramid had to have had the technology to make it. And and I mean, you know, we build huge structures, but but nothing like like this. And and I've often I've often said, you know, I've often you know when I when I wax you know philosophical that that. The, we have the Great Pyramid that, that has stood for thousands and thousands of years, but none of the structures today, you know, they'd be they'd, they'd all be dust except for Mount Rushmore. Um, That's Mount correct. Rushmore is and the maybe, only, and, and maybe Hoover Dam will last a bit longer too. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's absolutely correct. Uh, well, part, parts of Hoover Dam probably, but but right. um, so so. It had to be a civilization that had the technology to do it, and if that's the case, um, you know they they keep going back to it was Kofu built it, and, and no, he didn't. And and the only reason they say Kofu built it is because of graffiti that's in a place that's almost impossible to get to. So yeah, and that's um, been proven false too, anyway. Yeah, that was what the the archaeologists. Did the graffiti or somebody? Yeah, did. there's a book. Uh, I did. I did. I did a. I did a presentation with uh, with the Edgar Casey Foundation a couple of years ago, and uh, Scott Crichton was there. Uh, he's another author. lives in uh, lives in Scotland. Uh, he he did a did a, a book called The Great Pyramid Hoax, and uh, I watched his presentation. Uh, up, he, he gave his before mine. And he has done a super duper job of analyzing this this hieroglyph. It's it's above the king's chamber. It's a, it's a very hard place to get. And he did an analysis of it and pretty much proved that it's a, it's a forgery. Uh, the guy I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I want to say Carrington, but it's, uh, it sounds something like that, a, 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 a British uh, explorer and, and archaeologist. He wanted to have a, a find under his name. You know, he, he wanted to be, you know, kind of famous in a way. Uh-huh. And according to, according to Scott, Scott Crichton, he actually had that hieroglyph painted up there so he could take credit for the find. Uh-huh. I would believe that. I mean, if, if and listen, if I'm going to build anything that big, you may be very sure my name is going to be in neon on the outside, right. not right. in graf- right. graffiti in the rubble. Right. I mean, so so, I, I what what fascinated me with your with your book 
is that that you give a an explanation as to what the pyramid might have been used for because um you know it certainly was not not a burial chamber because and there's no hieroglyphs there's no writing there's no nothing inside and there's um, no hieroglyphs there's no hieroglyphs there's no no corpses no sarcophagi found in any of the true pyramids they're all empty and and well, yeah. f- furthermore we know we know what ancient Egyptian tombs look like. We found enough of them that we know. Mm-hmm. And the ancient, the ancient Egyptian tomb, okay, is constructed like a home. Okay? Yeah. The, the body goes in there in, in the sarcophagus. There's furniture. There's ambulance. There's jewelry. There's stuff put in there for the deceased because they put his possessions in there because they don't want him to reincarnate, okay? They want him to, to transcend to the sky in the netherworld and become his, for his ka to become one with his ba so he can live eternity as a star. That's the whole purpose of the tomb. And, right. and that's, why they, that's why they mummified him. So we uh-huh. know what Egyptian tombs look like. They look like homes where you, know, you have your stuff. None of the pyramids resemble anything like an actual Egyptian tomb. They're, they're totally different. So there, there's, there's, there's really no, no, no reason to go there. Now, why, the, why, why the, the first explorers made that assumption that they're tombs is because in the 4th, 5th, 3rd century, when the Nile Valley was repopulated by the descendants of the truly ancient Egyptians, they assumed the same thing, that the pyramids must be tombs. See, the pyramids were closed. You could not even get in them. Mm-hmm. You just, all you could do was look at them. So what the uh, first dynastic Egyptians did is they made graveyards on the west and the east side of, of, of the Great Pyramid, and they started burying their, their dead there because they thought it was tombs. So you know, uh, you know, but the, all of, and all of their, all, yeah, all, but all of those graves are underground. Yes, they're in Mastabas, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, this is how our minds work as people. If we don't know, we try and make a pattern. So yeah. when the, when the Europeans came in there in the 18th century, in the 19th century. You know, they saw the graveyards at the east side and the west side and the graveyards, you know, at different areas of the pyramids. They just automatically assumed because there were graveyards there that the pyramids were there. You know, it, it's just it's just bad reasoning is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so now that we've cleared out the fact that it was absolutely not a tomb, never was, um, you know, there's there, it's sort of like, okay, so what was it for? I mean, there's a descending passageway that goes down below that, that now has water in it. No reason for what that is. There's the queen's chamber, and there's the great gallery, and there's the king's chamber. Right. And, you know, have, have, you, right. have you done any research on that? They say that there's another chamber, but they haven't broken through to it. Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen the pictures in the articles that there's another chamber up there somewhere, 
but uh, uh, Egypt is highly political, and again, getting permission to work there is really hard to do. It's it's, it's really become a money thing now yeah. with the Egyptians. So it's 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 kind of sad. Uh, well, it's their tourist you know, you trade, you know. Yeah, it is, and they they make a lot of. I mean, I mean, yeah, the tourist trade is their is their number one source of money, and so they, you know, they got to take care of it and protect it, and all okay, that. Okay, so, and, and, so and that's fine. Well, I'm I'm all for 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 your theory because I think it's a good one. So, want to explain what you what you feel sure. it was meant to to be? Sure, I I would love to. Chris Dunn gets gets the credit. Okay, he was the first guy that I know of, and I know Chris by the way. Uh, uh-huh. He was the first guy to say, "This looks like a device." That's what it actually looks like—a device. And of course, he comes up. This is uh, going into the late '90s. He, he comes up with the, the Giza power plant. I'm sure you've heard of the book. Yep. Uh, where where it was to be uh, a device to generate power. Well, yeah, but it's not really the power that that we think about. You know, here here in modern times we think of power, we think of electricity, we think of high power. And uh, and and Chris, yeah, gets the credit for for putting that theory theory forward, but. Uh, I've been there and I've looked at it and I have a slightly different theory and this theory hinges on uh the underground portion of the pyramid. Uh there's a gentleman uh lives up in the state of Washington who was a marine engineer and uh he read Edward Kunkel's books on, on the Great Pyramid, who thought they were a water pump. But, but of course, Kunkel thought the entire pyramid was a water pump, where you had water coming out the uh, the north shaft and the, the south shaft of, uh, of the King's Chamber. Like a huge which, sprinkler. Yeah. Yeah, like a huge sprinkler. And, and, and that really didn't make any sense. And, no. uh, and, and no, no, it, 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 it didn't. But, uh, 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 John Cadman is the, the guy I'm talking about. He started looking at the pictures of the underground chamber below the pyramid and, and got as many pictures as he could find. And he knew what he was looking at. He told me that he was looking at what he thought old-fashioned ram pump. Before we had electricity, there was there was a way to pump water. If If you had water at a high point in the ground and you wanted to pump that water uh, somewhere else, all you had to do was create a a device that is, is a shaft with a piston in it that pumps the water. All right? Uh-huh. Gravity runs it. So once you got this piston moving, it'll never stop. Because the pressure that builds up in the chamber below it, once it once it releases the water, it'll push the push the piston back up so it can take in more water, and it'll just keep going up and down, up and down, letting more water in, uh, working on the pressure from the chamber and the force of gravity. 
So uh, he did a John Cabin did a fantastic job. He actually made models. He made several models to prove his theory. And this, this is the only. This is actually the only scientific uh, experiment or approach to the to the Great Pyramid that I've ever heard of or, or know about. And and yeah. History also corroborates this because the Great Pyramid was initially right next to the Nile River. And around mm-hmm. the pyramid, they had built a wall for a moat. So there was water right next to the pyramid. So they had devised a scheme to take water and move it. Obviously, you have to have water for crops. So using, using that part of the Great Pyramid... Uh, is a way to you know to to water your crops, and everywhere I went uh, to the pyramids, this is on Giza, Abu Sur, Abu Ghraib. That is all about the water. There's there's granite troughs coming out of the sands on the Giza plateau. Uh-huh. There's long granite troughs at Abu Sur, coming down from from the temple all the way to the base of the sand dune. So. One thing for sure is they were using it to move water, but there's another really fascinating thing that they were doing, and 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 John Cadman gets the credit for this work, being the, the marine engineer that he is. He noticed that the way they built uh, this pumping system in the underground subterranean chamber, that it was creating a compression wave throughout the pyramid, a vibration. Okay, and the way it was what the way it was designed is this vibration was moving straight up from the subterranean chamber up through the queen's chamber into the king's chamber, <clears throat> and as you know, the king's chamber is all granite, and granite uh-huh. has quartz, and quartz granite is sensitive to vibration. There's a piezoelectric effect to it, so it was creating some type of energy in that king's chamber. And it was moving out through the north and south shafts, I think, as a sound wave. Well that's what that's what that's what a pressure wave is, it's a sound wave. Yeah. So they were creating they were creating some type of of vibration in the sky, a bubble. There's probably some electromagnetism to it. But my in, my initial theory is since the water was, you know, to water the crops, then they would be creating this this magnetic field or this electric electromagnetic field, this bubble, uh, to 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 make electro electro to make uh, very low frequencies and extremely low frequencies, which are in the air at all times from thunderstorms. They were forcing pulling these things to the ground to fertilize their crops. This is actually modern-day science. Uh, uh, some of the agricultural studies are, are, are looking at different ways of fertilizing crops, and you can use VLF uh, and ELF to actually inoculate and fertilize your crops and make them, make them grow faster and bigger. And uh-huh. that just seemed like, you know, I mean, looking at the actual pyramid itself, what it does, it, it seemed to me... Like a logical conclusion, you know, if if you're getting ready for a catastrophe and you want your civilization to con- continue, 
you have to have food and water. Yeah. So to make it through this uh, upcoming catastrophe, okay, that would be a good thing to do to make sure your civilization continues. And that's that's my theory. That's a good one. Now, there are eight pyramids that go along the west side of the Nile. And that's correct. Are they, they, are they, are they all um, linked in order to do the same thing? Yes, they are. Uh, the Great Pyramid is, is the actual engine. Okay. But if, if, you, if you will notice, uh, all the pyramids, the, 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 the Giza is, is the northernmost pyramid. Okay. There actually is one other pyramid five miles to the north. It's called Abu Rawash. It was built yeah. on a plateau about 500 feet up in the air. But it was not finished. They stopped work on it. And it's, it's my logic is they found a better site, which was Giza. And why Giza was a better site is because there's water running underneath Giza. And moving water through stone uh, creates electricity, creates current, electrical current. So they moved the site for the engine from Abu Rawash to the Giza Plateau because it was a better situation for them. That's why they stopped working on Abu Rawash. But anyway, to get back to your question, yes, all the pyramids were tied together. And as you move south from the Great Pyramid, each pyramid further south gets, gets uh, less high and less high, get a little bit shorter. Well, what they were doing is they were pulling this, this electromagnetic field to the south, and they were linking up all the pyramids to create, I guess for lack of better words, to create a, a force field bubble over the Nile Valley where they were living and growing their food. Okay. Uh, and, and, and I'm right with you in all of this. And then the, then the question comes back to who were they and were they preparing for a cataclysm of some sort and this was their way to, to protect and, and not, not prevent it but to protect the population from it? I'm convinced they were. It's, it's you know, Surid. Uh, uh, you know, it's one of the one of the uh, one of the Arab historians. I'm going to see if I can find this real quick here, uh, because this is a really good thing to to, to, to talk about. Uh, yeah, here it is, right here. Okay. Uh, the Arab historian Ibrahim ben Ibn Wasaf Shah. Okay. He says that the, the Giza pyramids were built by an antediluvian king named Surid, or Sarid, however it's pronounced, who saw in a dream a huge planet falling to earth at the time when the heart of the lion would reach the first minute of the head of cancer. So uh, this being an actual historical thing, you know, I can't say I can't call it a fact because this was written uh, a thousand years ago, if not more. 
Mm-hmm. But but this is some of some of the legends uh, behind it. And furthermore, there's no there's no documents coming out of the old kingdom. I know there's the old kingdom, and then then there's uh, then there's the, the middle kingdom, and then there's the new kingdom. There's three different. Uh, three different parts of ancient Egyptian civilization that, that we know of. And there's nothing from the Old Kingdom. There's no records of, of any kind. And there were like uh, seven or eight dynasties in that first mm-hmm. Old Kingdom. I mean, that's a head-scratcher right there. Okay? Why are there no records coming out of the, the early dynasties? There's records coming out of the early dynasties of... Uh, of, of uh, Sumer in Mesopotamia, they have some records from their first dynasty, but there's nothing from Egypt. Uh, I am uh, my hypothesis is that all the grand temples and pyramids associated with the Old Kingdom uh, were already there in in 3000 BC when uh, the population got large enough to repopulate the Nile Valley. And that, oh, I, I totally uh, they, agree. Yeah, and, and they, well, they were the Egyptians. Uh-huh. But, you know, but, that, but, but that's actually our word. I don't think they called themselves Egyptians. Uh, that's the, Egypt is actually a Greek word. Uh, they called their land um, the black land is, is the actual English term for it, probably because of the soil. Uh, the, the fertile soil there. So, so, uh, but, but, see, see, you know, we don't listen to history. It's, it's the ancient Egyptians themselves claim that they're well. That's where I got the title of the book. Uh, 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 Thirty-nine thousand BC. The ancient Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians themselves in the the Turin Papyrus, which is housed in the Museum of Turin, Italy, uh, there, there's yeah. a king's list, and and you know uh, the modern the modern day king's list starts with King Mengs of the first first dynasty, first king of the first dynasty, 3000 BC. However, the Egyptians themselves say that reigns up to the, the Shemsu Hor lasted for 23,200 years before Mains. And before the reigns of the Shemsu Hor, before that, the gods ruled for 13,420 years. So this is the own ancient Egyptians' writing, and they're saying their civilization goes back 39,000 years. So why should modern-day historians believe that they're lying about it? Well, the oh, answer yeah, and- is... They're, they're, they're lying about it because we can't explain that. <laughs> well, I, I think that at, at least these days, uh, I listen to myths and stuff like that with a, with a completely different perception because because you do begin to understand that, that people can only describe things from their own frame of reference. And, <clears throat> and, and you know, it's, it's like today. Um, you know, there are so many things that we don't understand, but we make up the story to explain it, so it makes it easier to talk about, I guess. But this takes you back to to the antediluvian um, culture that that your is becomes your civilization X, 
and it's sort of like um, they, they, in many ways, were trying to, in, in many ways, they were trying to leave information to those who would come after them about what things to look out for and, and you know, explain why they were doing things. It, it never occurred to them that, that people wouldn't understand. And uh, that's, that's why I, that's I, I love That's the crazy part right there, isn't it? That's the crazy part. <laughs> that, yeah. That, 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 that some people 5,000 years ago, actually a lot longer than that. It's, just probably, it's, it's what, 12,000 years ago. People 12,000 yeah. years ago built this wonderful, beautiful structures uh, on the Nile River, and and they designed it so someone with intelligence could understand who they were, what they were doing, and why. And we have failed on that matter. I know, and and you know, it, you know, you it's know. just it it blows it blow, it's it's it blows me away thinking that you know in another twelve thousand years, well, f- for instance, the, the 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 probes that we sent out into space, we've put we've put graphic stuff on it in hopes that people would understand. We uh, and, and this, this blows my mind. On one of the on one of them, we we literally put a record on it knowing that future generations would know what to do with a record. My grandson wouldn't know what to do with a record. You know, I mean, maybe he would. But but, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, 12,000 years? No, I don't think that the element of what a record is, is is something that would enter into anybody's consciousness. Hopefully we will have evolved way beyond that and we won't have gone through another mass, mass extinction. But But... I, I just it it blows my mind that that people aren't un- understanding that there there was a culture that was way back and that and they saw this coming too. That's that's the one thing yeah. that that you know we were talking about earlier that that they were so they they had such a, a wonderful understanding of astrology that they knew an event was coming and were trying to prepare for it. And obviously some people survived, but, but not the knowledge of, of, you know, what, what they had, you know, the, the, the technology, the philosophy, the spirituality, none of that stuff came through. Well, the, the, the philosophy and spirituality did that, that did come through. Uh, it's been hidden for a very long time, but the, the, the whole philosophy and spirituality of the ancient Egyptians that does, does come through. It comes through Egypt, uh, and it, it existed in ancient Egypt. Uh, the, the problem is modern day scholars, and here I'm really pointing the finger at, at, the, at, the, at the 19th century uh, Egyptologists and, and, mm-hmm. and classical scholars. They they kind of rewrote history. There's a, there's actually two different models of ancient Egypt, or of the ancient world for that matter. Okay, there's the pre-classical ancient model of the ancient world, which existed prior to the 15th century. Okay, okay, and then there's yeah. the modern model 
uh, of ancient history that was kind of concocted in the, in the 18th and 19th century, and that is our modern-day model of what ancient history should be. So, so there, there's two different things going on here, and and what I like to do, I like to get away from the modern model and try and get back to the original ancient model, which means you have to read all of the ancient uh, philosophers and historians, uh, Diodorus, Herodotus, uh, Pythagoras, uh, different people like that, especially the Greeks. And then there's, there's a few uh -huh. others. Because, because they will give you the ancient model of how they believe things were, okay, as opposed to our modern, newly concocted model of how things are supposed to be. So, I, I mean, just right now I'm working on a book where I've been using a lot of, of textbooks that were written in the, the late 19th and early 20th century. And why these, these books are so good is because the first men that went to Egypt or to uh, Mesopotamia, uh, for that matter, they had no preconceived ideas of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, they, they actually translated and wrote down things just like the ancient Egyptians or the ancient uh, Sumerians or Akkadians actually wrote them down. And to read books like that, you get a totally different take on things. Uh, oh, yeah. This, 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 here, here's a really good example right now that I've been working on today. The ancient Mesopotamians, okay, uh, they knew of the constellations, the zodiacal constellations, okay, but there's the, the, the way people speak, and this is today as well as, you know, two and three and four thousand years ago, we, we have different words for different things, okay, and when we use one word for many things, all right? Yeah. So, so there's the constellation Scorpio, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. But besides using that word scorpion to designate the constellation of stars, they were using that word scorpion in different ways, referring to different natural occurring phenomenon and to planets, so it really muddies the water, okay? The scorpion is referring to the constellation, but the scorpion can also refer to lightning, flaming fire, the planet Venus. So, you know, uh, the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, they did not create a tutorial for us to work on and go off of. <laughs> They no, just they figured everyone would be. They just figured everyone would be speaking Sumerian or Akkadian for for the rest of you know world history, which which didn't happen to be the case. So so these first scholars they struggled with translating these texts, the hieroglyphs as well as you know the cuneiform texts, mm -hmm. and they explain what they're doing as they're trying to figure it out, whereas. When you read a modern textbook, they just tell you, okay? Uh, 
The number one text for Egypt is the, 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 the Oxford History of Egypt. I have a copy of it. I've looked yeah. through it and read parts of it, but it tells me absolutely nothing. Well, I, I so, can believe so that. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't opened it in years because it, it's, it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really give you anything. It, it, it just gives you what they think it is, and, and they won't go into any mysterious area to try and, you know, give you a bigger picture well, I found Egypt. that that um, Strong's Concordance does take you back to the original um, language that the material was written in and what it meant at that particular time. Are you you familiar with that? Oh, I sure am. That's where I, that's what I cut my teeth on back in uh, 1982, 83. Uh, that's Did you know he, the Hebrew language, though. Yeah, did you did you know he did a, a cyclopedia as well? I did not know that. I know he had a. Con, I know I, I. I'm very familiar with the concordance. But I didn't know um, he had a encyclopedia. Yeah, he did 1832, and and I've got all ten volumes of it on disc. If you want, to, I'll share it with you if you'd like. Wow, well, that'd be awesome! Wow, <laughs> ten volumes! <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Um, <laughs> I have I have often thought that a lot of the huge statues, you know, especially at the entrance to places and everything, I think they were life size. Um, I don't think they were just made big to be made big. I th- I think they were life size. You think they were life size? Yeah. Well. And well. I've been I've been kicking around this theory in my head. It's not really a theory. It's kind of well, no, it 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 it, it is a theory because there there is there is some science behind it. That's that's true. Uh, have you ever heard of the expanding Earth theory? Um, probably. It's where our um, planet is actually growing, getting larger. Really? Okay, yeah. not me. Okay. Well, all right. I'm going to throw another one at you, and it—I mean, okay. it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's directly applies to this. Okay, dinosaurs. We're all familiar with dinosaurs. We all love dinosaurs. Kids love yeah. dinosaurs. I've been to to Utah. I've seen dinosaur mounds. I've seen hills cut in half. Nothing but dinosaur bones in them. Huge bones. Well, physicists tell us today that those dinosaurs, it's impossible for them to be alive today. Impossible. Because of their structure. Okay? Our gravity, the way they're built, how big they are, how tall they are, how much they weigh, it's not possible for them to even be alive today. Because our gravity is too strong for them. They wouldn't be able to get up off the ground and raise their heads. Yeah, but didn't we at one time have a, either a double or a triple atmosphere? Uh, probably a probably a, a a double atmosphere, but not not a triple. Okay. 
Okay, and 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 what that double atmosphere is, we we of course Earth has has its own atmosphere. Okay, uh-huh. and when it was when it was a a moon of Saturn, uh, inside Saturn's uh, plasma sphere, then that was a second atmosphere, that created this lush, beautiful, seventy five degree warm world with mist everywhere and plants everywhere. Uh, but that's that that's way that's way long ago, and it, it could have been I mean it could have been smaller then. But there was a guy in the 1940s and 50s, he actually noticed on the globe that the continents should fit together yeah. because they look like they should. Well, they what do. he found out, what he found out is they don't, not on your standard globe size. But if you keep the continents the same size they are, and shrink the globe, at a certain point, the continents start to fit together real good. And when you get so small, they fit together perfectly. And hmm. this, is where he, this is where he comes up with uh, the, the, the expanding Earth theory. And, of course, we have settled science today. Einstein <laughs> and, and Newton have figured everything out so there's no need to worry about uh, electromagnetism or an expanding earth or anything like that right mm. i'm being funny yeah <laughs> well you know i i just i think that that what fascinates me so much is that um there there um it makes sense to me that a culture as wise and as advanced as the culture that actually did create the Great Pyramid and and a lot of the other edifices too um, was trying to leave a message and give a warning. And, yes, yes, they were. Yes. And 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 it just. It seems to me that that's a warning that we should pay attention to. Um, we talked about how way back the the, the planets weren't in the same um, orbits as they are. Orbits, that, that, right. That, yeah, that, that everything was sort of wobbly. But but it also um, I I do feel strongly that let, let's let's talk a little bit about. What caused? What really caused the last um, um, extinction? What actually caused the last extinction? Uh, yeah. The planets, the the planets of our solar system, they they were originally uh, orbiting the sun together as a group. Okay, okay. and. And here, this is this is where we have to shift gears, and we have to talk about dark matter and dark energy. Okay. Uh, because it's because it, because it's pertinent to what I'm going to say. Uh, in, in modern science, uh, our astrophysicists have figured out that 99% of the universe is made up of dark matter and dark energy. Right. Uh-huh. Well. The the problem with that is they don't have a clue 
as to what dark matter or dark energy is. Okay. But on, on the other hand, plasma physicists, whom your standard astrophysicists will not talk to, your plasma physicists understand because their expertise is in electromagnetism. And they know that 99% of the universe is made up of plasma. And we're not talking about blood plasma. We're talking about a fourth state of matter where all atoms are so hot that they have been divorced from their electron shells and their free-floating ions in space. That's what dark matter and, and dark energy actually is. So space is electric. Actually, everything is electric. We are electric. Right. Uh, have you ever uh, kissed your husband and then got shocked? <laughs> yes. You know, it's, 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 it's winter time, and, and you're scooting your feet a little bit as you're, you're going to say bye to your honey. It's, this this, this happened to me, happens to me all the time during the winter uh, uh-huh. when I'm going out. I'll go over to kiss my wife, and actually, at times, before I even, our lips even meet, like they're like, you know, a half an inch apart, uh-huh. I can actually see the arc jump from my lip to her lip and shock it both. <laughs> that is a principle of yes, that's shocking, isn't it? That that is a pr- principle. That is a fundamental principle of our universe that is totally scalable. It is good as small as you want to go, or as large as you want to go. And the point I'm making here is that everything is electric. Now, why we don't notice it is because we actually live between two electromagnetic plates. There's one below our feet, and there's one above our heads, okay? There's the atmosphere above our heads and and, and the ground to our feet. The, The whole grounding thing that all electricians know about is there for a very good reason. And that very good reason is, okay... Things need to be grounded to the ground because there is no ground in space and everything has an electrical capacity. Mm-hmm. Everything has, an, has a magnetic field. Even we humans have a magnetic field. It's so small and so subtle, it's, it's damn near not noticeable. But you've got the Carillion photography and the oral photography in there. You know, they're kind of trying to get in that direction. Of course, they're called pseudoscientists and all that, so that that, 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 that blows that away. But no, the truth is, and this is actual astrophysics. I I mean, you can read about it today, tonight, on, 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 on Google. There's no ground in space, and every celestial body has an electric potential and has a magnetic field. Okay. Well, what happens... When one planet gets gets close to another planet, and just like me and my wife, we have different electrical potentials in our bodies, and mine became Uh greater than hers because I screwed my feet across the floor, the same thing exists in space. So when you get one planet coming close to another planet, okay, 
And one planet has a much higher uh, charge in its electrical potential. The other planet has to equalize. They have to equalize their charge in order to be friendly. So what happens is you have this monster lightning strike from one planet to the next. And when I say lightning strike, I'm not talking about a thunderstorm that we have today. I'm uh-huh. talking about a I'm talking about a lightning strike that's 10 miles wide and is gotcha. in the the millions of amperage amperage. So yeah. it, it's actually melting the ground and creating sonic booms and mushroom clouds. It's 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 terrifying. It's it's absolutely terrifying. That's that's what got everything going. That's the, that's what caused all the problems was unstable planets trying to find peaceful orbits around a new sun. So what caused in 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 several cultures prior to disaster striking? They talk about um the eye of Horus, the blue eye of Horus, the blue planet in the sky, um, it seems to have foretold, you know, horrendous things happening. What causes what causes star. the blue star? Yeah, that's Venus. That's Venus. Venus is actually the devil. Okay. Venus is actually Venus is actually Lucifer. I believe that's out of uh, Isaiah. Chapter 32, I could be wrong about that, but it talks about Lucifer, you are the morning star, uh, you thought you were more beautiful than God, therefore you've been cast down to earth, and two-thirds of the stars have gone with you, et cetera, et cetera. So are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah, they're talking about the planet Venus, is is what they're talking about. Uh, okay. the The Mesopotamians actually... Here I'm shifting gears and going from Egypt to Mesopotamia. Sorry about that, but uh, no, that's okay. The but the, uh, the 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 Egyptians were very cryptic and very esoteric in the way they described things and their literature, uh, uh-huh. which is actually which is actually fascinating to me because 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 it it, it tells me they had some different mode of thought, the way they thought about things, yeah. and the Mesopotamians. The Mesopotamians are more like us in modern times. The Mesopotamians were pretty much straightforward on stuff. Yes, they had their myth, and yes, to modern folks, their myth sounds really goofy, but if you can get past the myth and learn the myth and learn what the symbols mean, and remember, as far as myth goes, the gods were planets. The planets yeah. were gods. That's uh-huh. the end of the story. That's 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 what we're talking about here. Uh, the Mesopotamians actually knew the colors of the planets, and this and they they knew that because they could see them, and they actually built those colors into uh, their temple at at Eridu and and Nippur in Mesopotamia. So, so we we know that they know that they could see the planets and they knew what they look like. And yes, well, Venus was typically a blue green planet. How did they know the colors? They could see them. 
They were right there. They were that Just like close. we see the moon. They were they were that close. Wow. Yep. Yep. Well, well, it's if if you want to talk about uh, creation uh, and actually creation is is really not a very good word to use because creation is actually a continuing thing. So when when we're talking about when the Mesopotamians are talking about creation. Or when the Egyptians are talking about creation, they're not really talking about, and I hate to use this phrase, but I'm going to go ahead and use it because we all understand it. They're not talking about the Big Bang. No. Okay. No. They're talking about a specific, and I want to use the word recreation as opposed to a new creation. They're talking about a recreation of our planet. But... The Mesopotamians were pretty much straightforward with it, where the Egyptians weren't. And they tell us pretty much exactly what happened as far as the plans go. And well, I kind of got lost are... in, 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 in some digression there. No, 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 that's okay. I'm fine with that. I was right with you. Um, there are a lot of mythologies um, connected to different cultures that, that all seem to talk to the same to the same point that they don't talk about you know a um, the, the create the creation is they describe it in their own terms but they all seem to know a lot more about how we came to be than than um, our science today does and it's it's sort of sad that that people aren't paying attention to, you know, that old saying, those who don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. That's true. That's and, absolutely true. And it, it does feel as though, while we don't have a blue, a blue star in the sky at, at the moment, um, and I'm not saying that we're, we are due for a mass extinction. I mean, we could blow ourselves up, but... Um, the mass extinctions that have been in the past have not been because, you know, humanity has done it. It's because of, you know, some huge um, cosmic whatever, whether it's a meteor hitting the earth and melting, you know, the ice caps and all of that stuff, or whether it's, you know, um, the destabilization of our of our rotation and, and things like that. I know the the Native Americans have been talking about the fact that the sky is wobbly these days, which to me would suggest that there is some sort of um, shifting going on universally, cosmically, whatever you want to call it, and and that there are going to be changes as far as our our weather system and our, our environment as a whole, and if people can't see that change, then then they're blind to what's going on around us. And it's sort of like... The first warning sign, right. The first warning sign is going to be uh, an increase in in auroral activity in the evening. And when we start to see an aurora during the daytime, that's Uh when we really need to be worried Oh yeah. That's the first siren. Because when when something's getting close to it, it's going to have a magnetic field about it. And if it's hot and throwing off uh, flares, 
these flares are, are is space plasma. It's, uh, it's, it's ionized particles, high-energy, high-moving particles. And that's going to affect Earth and Earth's magnetic field and create really brilliant, fantastic aurora borealis and aurora australis. That's uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, if the sky's wobbly, I know where they're going with that. I mean, I'm not saying that I see, you know, something hitting us tomorrow, yet it could. But, you know, um, it, it's just, it, it feels as though history is trying to warn us of something. Um, you know, whether it's be on the lookout for something coming hurtling at you through space, whether it is a an EMP pulse that, that comes from a, a star exploding or, or, or you know, amazing um, sunspots that, that, you know, destabilize our, our atmosphere or, or any number of things. You don't see science, at least you don't hear about it, maybe it's going on, but you don't hear about them trying to protect the planet. You know, all you hear about, you know, unfortunately, is political stuff and how, you know, cows having gas is the reason the ice the ice caps are melting, and that's just not so. So, I'm not I'm not sure there was an ice age. Well, yeah, that's you you've got a point there. Although there are places where it does appear that something has been dragged, and and you know. But but they seem to blame everything they can't explain on on glacier erratica and well well well, well yeah but there's there's a huge problem with glaciers there, there there's a huge problem with the ice age uh, this is just common sense stuff uh, they claim that there is like a mile of ice here in North America a mile where we're, we're, we're talking. Right where I am right now, I'm I'm I live in Central Illinois, and that's and 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 that's kind of like the well, like the edge of the glacier. Back you know twenty thousand years ago. Oh okay. okay. Now there's okay. there's 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 there, 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 there's a huge problem with that because you have to have precipitation that's turning into ice and snow to accumulate for a mile mm-hmm. deep. How's that happen? <laughs> that's, well, that's, yeah. that's pretty difficult. That, that, that's, that, that, that's really difficult because you have to have warm, moist air, okay, water vapor, and you have yeah. to have that water vapor being chilled to create first ice and snow. Well, how how do we put together a weather system to create a mile of snow. And that's 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 difficult. Well, I, I could don't it have could it have something to do with the atmosphere being destabilized? Well, the best theory I have heard on it is is that when when when, when our planet experiences intense auroral activity, all right, mm-hmm. what happens is is uh, the aurora actually becomes permanent? Okay. Ooh. So, so the inflow of of charged particles and dust, you know, coming into our planet. Uh, there's there, there's two areas at the North Pole and the South Pole where there is a chink 
in our electromagnetic armor. Uh, the astrophysicists call it the horn. And they call it the yeah. horn because, because this area of space is, uh, and this has to do with magnetic lines. The magnetic lines actually create a horn. You know, it's flared at the top and narrow at the bottom. And yeah. Anyway, the plasma follows, follows these horns into Earth and settles in the North Pole and the South Pole. So what's happening to create this, these so-called ice ages is that there's all this cosmic dust and high-energy particles coming in. Well, they, they, the ionized plasma is, is, is actually matter. It's just all broken apart. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, the, the plasma will accumulate at our north and south pole, okay, and dust will accumulate as well, okay. This will act as a dense cloud structure, okay, and prevent sunlight from coming in. So this ring around the planet at the top and at the bottom is going to be very cold, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but remember, it, it's, it's a ring, okay? And the top is clear and underneath it is clear. So, so what, what's going on is the moist air is, is moving up and it's moving north to, to, the, to the very top of the planet, and this is where the nice warm air is going to get put into the freezer, and it's going to condense and become ice and snow and fall straight down. So, okay. so you have this cycle. So, so you have this cycle of warm air moving out of the oceans, the North Pacific, and the North Atlantic, and it's moving up to the North Pole, moving through that hole, and the warm air is getting getting frozen and then falling to the ground. It's a cycle, okay? But in order for that cycle, it, it's the same cycle we have today with normal snows, okay? But it's mm-hmm. exacerbated because of the aurora cloud that's, you know, making it cold in a ring around the North Pole, and, but the air's still getting up there and creating all the snow. So uh, that's the best story I've heard. Interesting. Well, I want to get back to <clears throat> our our civilization X um because it it fascinates me in that, you know, first of all, I do believe they were trying to leave a message. And I do believe that in in a lot of the um quote-unquote myths or legends or whatever that they do talk about information and wisdom being buried beneath the the um the pyramid or, or, or the Sphinx. Um, and I think, I can't remember, but I think somewhere, pretty, I think it was your book where, where you said that the, the Sphinx was probably older than the Great Pyramid. Um, Most likely, yes. Yeah. But what, what gets me is um, something that, that I have not heard or or read any place else, but you show it in your book, in that assuming that Civilization X built the pyramid, and I think it probably did, um, they had use of saws, and there are saw marks in a lot of the um, quote-unquote rubble that is that is around the uh, Great Pyramid, and 
I don't understand why archaeologists haven't seen that before. Oh, they've seen it. It's just not I mean, possible were... to miss it. I mean, as a tourist, as a tourist, I roamed the Giza Plateau for two days, and there's saw marks. There's saw marks. There are surfaces as smooth as glass everywhere. You just got nowhere to look. They're they're out in the open. Uh, the best place to look is the north side of the, of the Great Pyramid. There is a black basalt patio there. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, it's been scavenged, and uh, it's it's really serendipitous to us that it has been scavenged, because what the builders of the Great Pyramid did yeah, is, if they had mistakes that were made on on rocks, they wouldn't throw that 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 rock away. They would repurpose it. They'd find a way to use it because uh-huh. it costs money, you know. And so what they did is, like, if they made a mistake on this one, they'd cut it down a little bit and use it as a patio stone here. Okay. So, anyway, when the, when the black basalt patio on the north side of the Giza, Giza, Giza Pyramid, uh, Great Pyramid, was scavenged, they start removing first the edges from the patio. Yeah. And then they just start taking more and more wherever they want, whatever they need. Well, this exposes a lot of mistakes made by the construction crew. And there they are, saw marks, plain as day, looking right at them. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's jaw-dropping. You can see the slice marks, and, and you have yeah. a, a stone you yeah. called the, what, Rosetta Stone? Um, well, well, it's, 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 it's. Like a Rosetta Stone. Uh, like a Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Okay. It's it's another form of the Rosetta Stone. That's the stone at Abu Wash. That is uh that is a that's phenomenal amazing. story. It's that's amazing. And what's really cool about about the story about Abu Wash and this, this new Rosetta Stone is uh Abu Wash touched until the mid nineties. It was a great wow. big mound of dirt, of sand. And a French and German uh, archaeology team came in there in the mid-90s and cleaned it all up. They removed all the dirt. They removed everything. And they took some things down. And they found this this slab of stone that's approximately three feet long by uh, two feet wide, about uh, about 18 inches thick. Okay, they found that in the, in the hill of dirt and rubble that they, you know, cleaned up and removed. And they brought it out in front of the pyramid and set it on six uh, baseball-sized stones. And yeah. when you look at it, when you look at it, you see that there's a very large arc at the very top where the stone has been broken. But behind that arc, it's smooth to the touch. And if you look real close, you can actually see the feed lines from the saw as it was removing material. Uh, I took pictures of it, of course. Of course. And, uh, And when I got home, 
Uh, me and my wife were at Menards. That's a uh, that's a that's a that's a home home supply store. And yeah. I was walking through the tile area and saw a tile granite, and picked it up off the shelf and turned it around and looked at it. And the marks on the back of that granite tile at Menards looked identical to the marks on the stone at Everwell Wash. So it's kind of like, okay, all right. Civilization X had power tools. They they most certainly did. There's there's no question about it. Oh, oh yeah. I, I just um, – and there are drill marks, too. There are you, – you can see – but the drill marks aren't something from something being pounded in. It's 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 like it was a power drill going in. And I, I yes. told you uh, before when we were talking, um, we saw markings like that on on at least one of the chambers that we went into. That nobody knows how old they are or where they came from or who made them. Um, and and I'm, no. I'm not saying they're from Civilization X, but I am saying that. That they were corbel construction, which you know would and and the colonists certainly were not trained in corbel construction, nor did did they have the time to do something like that. They were too busy trying to live, so that so that you know there's there's technology that has been out there, and you know you have all of your out of place artifacts that people keep finding, and then they just throw them in that little bin marked out of place objects, and and kind of forget about them but but they they existed they were utilized they were you know it's it's there are remnants of your civilization x all over the world well the great pyramid is not a remnant uh well, no, i have been there. thinking about this yeah it's it's i've been thinking about this for for a really long time and and if it weren't for the great pyramid there really would be no reason to research ancient Egypt. I mean, yeah, the Great Pyramid. Right. The Great Pyramid is such an enigmatic structure, mind-boggling structure. You can throw in all the adjectives you want to the Great Pyramid; they're all true. Uh, it's it's evidence that exists right here, right now. And you can fly to Egypt and see it if you want. And, ah. and when you get there, when you get there, your jaw drops because oh. how big it looked on how, how big it looked on TV, as opposed to being there in real life, is the difference between watching a high school football game and going to a professional football game. It's totally different. Now, now the capstone is not there. The capstone, there was a capstone. Supposedly, it was gold. Correct. That's correct. It was it was a gold capstone, and that was for conductivity. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's gone. It's gone. Uh, the gold pieces in the in the king's chamber too. There was a piece in the king's chamber through the southern shaft. There was supposed to be a, a large gold kind of like satellite dish looking thing, and it's gone. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I, I mean, whoever <clears throat> the first people that that got, that got into the pyramid here, we're talking probably around the ninth, tenth, eleventh century, a thousand years ago. Whoever, uh, whoever got in, the first people to get into the to the, the pyramid, uh, yeah, they took all the all the uh, the high value items, all the gold is gone. 
So uh, well, the um, that that the great um, the great hallway with the the marks the the places for there to be um, stairs or whatever or um, you know when when you described going up that hallway even though it's it's terribly terribly tall um when i was reading your your going into it i felt claustrophobic <laughs> yeah 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 you have to crawl on your hands and knees yeah it's 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 there's 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 a there's an ascending passage that you got to crawl on your hands and knees knees it's a pretty steep angle too it's not it, this is not a, a slow lollygag angle. It's fairly steep. Uh, it's a 45 degree, maybe even a little bit more than 45 degree angle. You have to crawl wow. through on your hands and knees until you get to the grand gallery, or then then you can actually stand up and, and walk the rest of the way. But but yeah, it's it's if you if, if you're claustrophobic in any way, I don't recommend going into the Great Pyramid. No, you know I I would I like to, yes, but. I am claustrophobic, so you know I, I had a friend who went, and <clears throat> she looked at me and she said, "You wouldn't make it ten feet in." <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> and and to have a panic attack in 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 a place where there was I could wave my arms around and didn't know I had to crawl on hands and knees to get out. Nope, I would definitely. Um, and well, the good news is exact- you're with a whole bunch of people. So. Yeah, well. I mean, if, if that, something that, happened, that, you'd have help. Yeah, no, well, that means that they're just breathing all the air. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I have good claustrophobia. Um, but it just, it seems to me that there is a sense of antiquity and time that that must must sink into you when you're when you're inside of that pyramid because. Um, I just can't imagine, um, you know, what it would be like. But, but there, there is one other thing. Now, it has a box in it. They call it a sarcophagus. Is it a sarcophagus or is it just a box in the king's It's chamber? just a box. It's just a box. There's no, there's no reason to believe it's a sarcophagus. Yes, it's in the shape of, of a sarcophagus. That is true. But a lot of things are in the shape of a, of a sarcophagus. Anyway, it, it's it's just it's just uh, it's just an oblong box. There's no lid. the The top of the box, uh, the edges of the box, is rounded. It's not it's not nice and clean and neat and perfect like most of the uh, most of the granite boxes are. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a box up there. Uh, and is there no any one really knows what it's for. <clears throat> So there's no purpose to it as far as being a, a, a pulse engine or anything like that. There's no purpose to have a box. Well, uh, there is a purpose. There is a reason why there's a box there because there's there's they were boxes found in other pyramids, and oh. there was even a sealed box found that the Egyptologists thought was uh, a casket, a grave. And uh, it was, and this was 1925, I believe. And with great fanfare, uh, you know, a bunch of dignitaries got together and they went down there. And this, this box was sealed. This granite box was sealed. Uh-huh. 
-hmm. and we broke the seal and opened it up, guess what was in it? Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. Nothing. But, you know, they, they had that same, well, well there, there were rose quartz boxes in some in some um pyramids but right. and then there are the the huge boxes sarcophagi for the Aethis bulls that they only I think right. they only found one Aethis bull in there and I don't even know how they got those in there yeah that's that's yeah that's even that's even more crazy the size of those boxes and the weight of those boxes uh, are I Nah, it's uh, this is the, the, this is where you have to you have to say there definitely was a civilization X because the, <laughs> the boxes in, in the Serapium at Saqqara are, uh -huh. are 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 even are even more than mind boggling. I mean the the other boxes of the other pyramids, and there there was a, there was a beautiful there was two beautiful boxes at the, at Abu Sur that were still there in situ. I mean perfect. I mean one had a broken lid. You know, someone had busted the lid. But the perfection of these granite boxes is something we can do now, but it, it costs a lot of money to do it. So, you know, again, you can't do this with a hammer and a chisel. There's, there, there's, well, there's no way that it, that it can these, be done. These boxes... Like like the rose quartz ones, I now they were in pyramids, so that they they had to have had some sort of purpose. Yes, there was some and, sort of electromagnetic effect that they were using them for. It, it, it's it's just that we have no idea what that is at this point in time. Well, obviously the rose quartz is um, well, that's quartz too. I, I well. But the others were granite, right? Well, well, uh, granite has quartz in it. Yeah. That's what granite is. Well, yeah. So would rose quartz be as conductive as granite? Yes, it would. Probably even more so. Wow. Well, but 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 what what's different about granite? Okay. Is uh. Granite is used today by the high-fidelity industry. Granite makes a great base, a great platform for, for stereo uh, equipment. Yeah. So, so the, the, the whole idea there is, is the granite is, is being used because it's, it's a ability to, to deal with sound. That's... That's where that comes in. Whereas the rose quartz, maybe they didn't really need the whole sound effect thing and, and used it. Well, if indeed it was to create a bubble, to make the fields more abundant, to make the seeds more abundant, <clears throat> that would correspond with the um, the towers in Ireland, that were 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 That's correct. That, that, yep. that, that had a similar purpose theoretically, and but they probably don't date to the same time frame, do they? 
No, they don't. No, no. Those those tire those towers in in Ireland and in other parts of the world, for that matter, they're much newer than uh, and than the Great Pyramid. Well, it's it's, it's the same thing with the with the with the non-electric water pump, the Ram style pump, that mm-hmm. that most people have forgotten about today. But it was used a thousand years ago. It was used five hundred years ago before there was a uh, electricity everywhere. Uh, it, it's just this is with just we people have a habit of not caring about history and not remembering anything. You know, generations that are born today, they grow up thinking the world has been as it always is, and it's not. But how simple to have something like this set up around your fields if you're a farmer. I mean, it just it it you know they have the great big windmills and they have all sorts of you know irrigation stuff going on but if you if you surrounded your fields i mean and it and it isn't just for um you know plants it's it's animals as well things thrive um around this kind of a um an energetic so if indeed this is if if this worked so well for ancient Egypt. Of course, it doesn't work now because um, there's no water going into the Great Pyramid. Right. Could they re Could they reinstate it? Could they Could they actually put it back into functionality? Well, that'll that'll that that's going to cost forty billion dollars. <laughs> that's, that's the problem right there. <laughs> oh, ancient. <you> <laughs> The 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 this is this is a kind of a kind of a a thought that I have had for for many years now that I would love to see happen. If I were a billionaire, okay. Uh-huh. If I were if I were a billionaire, I would spend money and have a scale model of the pyramid built. I mean, it's not going to be 300 feet high, okay. I don't have the money to do one 300 feet high, but I'd have the money to build one, say, you know, 50 feet high. Okay. The principles are the same. The the materials are the same. I would build a pyramid 50 feet high, exactly how it's supposed to be from, you know, the blueprints of the Great Pyramid. And I would, you know, direct the construction to be like, you know, we've got a water pump, you know, the submarine Uh chamber. And we got the, you know, we got we got everything that's going on as it should. I would I would have it built to see what happens and turn it on. That's really the only way but, to find out. But you know, when you think of the poverty in the world and people starving, and if all it takes is getting some of these structures set up in strategic places so that farmland could be brought back. And people could be fed. It would be worth the money. Well, not for the corporations. It wouldn't. They wouldn't have any profit anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. It, it's it's a Tesla situation, I guess. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. Well, well, yeah. You know, I would talk about Tesla. You know, you know, let's just talk about UFOs just for thirty seconds. Okay, okay, you know, uh, there's been UFO sightings everywhere, the tri- triangular UFOs and this and that. It's been on radar and stuff. You know, thousands of people have seen these things over the past 20, 30 years. Okay. Well, 20, 30? Hundreds? 
They had a lot, lot longer than that. Uh, okay. at, at least back till 1947. You know. Okay. Actually, there was one airship sighting in like 1895. I think somewhere oh, in Kansas, strange place like that. But but anyway, uh, you know. Of course, our government has black projects. We all know that, you know, uh, the SR-117 oh, yeah. and, and the Blackbird and, and the stealth fighter and bomber, they were all black projects out in Area 51 for a long time before they were finally unveiled to the public. Uh, who do you think the government is going to follow research on? Nikolai Tesla <laughs> or, or Albert Einstein? They're not going to choose wait. Einstein because, because because Einstein was 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 a theorist. He was a pure theorist. Yes. But but uh, yeah, but they are now using grab, Tesla Tesla oh, um, they've been using, Tesla Energy. They've been you know, using Tesla stuff for a long time. They grabbed all of his patents as soon as he was dead. Well, they I'm, I'm sure about that. Oh yeah, all of his notebooks were not found for sure. No, no, he was he was brilliant. He was a genius. He was also he crazy. understood plasma. He had, he understood plasma physics back in the back in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, when no one he understood ab- plasma yeah. physics. He was you absolutely know. an anachronism. Yeah, yeah, and he died a a poor broken man. That's just awful. Yeah, yeah. J. P. Morgan and Thomas Edison got away with it. They just, did. It, it's, they did. They made a ton of money. Um, in in the in the in nineteen forty three forty four, my father was in the FBI, and he was sent out to Long Island. They lived in New York, um, to watch a demonstration, and they brought a brand new car out. They put water into the gas tank. They put a little white pill into the gas tank, and the car started up and ran like crazy. Yeah. No, no exhaust, no nothing. The right. government had the copyright, had the patent. Right. Bought it from the man, right. and it's 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 right. it's with the Ark of the Covenant someplace in uh, <laughs> God, yeah. God knows gotta, where. My best friend from high school told told me a story similar to that. Uh, he lives in he's been living in Indiana for the past uh, past thirty years, and he knew, of course he made friends in Indiana. <clears throat> this one friend, this is going back to uh, the early eighties. His dad bought a big boat of a car, you know, like a big four door Buick, you know, yeah. a four hundred. A 400 uh, cubic inch engine on it. Anyway, it had it had a, a four barrel carburetor on it, and uh, the boys, you know, asked dad if they could use the car during the weekend. And the boys were nice boys. Dad was a nice dad, so he let the boys use the car. And and they drove the car all weekend, and they noticed the gas needle barely moved. And they did it again the next weekend. Again, the same thing happened. The gas needle barely moved. Well, not too long after that, his dad got a letter from the uh, manufacturer. I don't know if it was a Buick or a Chevy or what, but anyway, he got a letter from the manufacturer explaining to him that his vehicle 
had an experimental carburetor on it and that he needed to promptly go to the dealer and have that carburetor removed and the correct carburetor installed, all for free. <laughs> of course, he didn't do it. The, oh, wow. So, it just, so yeah, um, it's... <laughs> You, you know, you sit back and you wonder why. I, I mean, I understand. It's, you follow the money. It's it's big corporations. I got that. But but you know, there there's so much in this world that could be fixed so rapidly and so easily. And yes, yes. You know, it, it it boggles the mind, and 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 of course, then then you've got the. Um, the guy that touched the 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 drone from the future in Rendlesham Forest, who got a download of um, of the the ones and the zeros. Um, can't remember what it's called. The name is just now gone. But they they interpreted it, and it it, it turned out it was a message from the future from 800 years. So I haven't heard of this. I you know I. It was is, is is this the Reynoldsham Forest incident back in back in the late seventies or early eighties? Yeah, Pen- Pennington, Pendenson, Patterson, Jim. Yeah, he's been on the show. Um, he talked about it's it's the um, binary code. His he touched this this and it, it was like a drone. He ran his hand over it. He got a download of energy. He wrote he he wrote all this down in the, in a notebook. The government never asked him for the notebook. He didn't mention it, so he kept it. And um, somebody noticed that it, that it was binary code, and they actually were able to interpret it. And so what um, it, it, among other things, it had sacred sites from the latitude and longitude of sacred sites around the world. And now the message, I am going to not say it right, but basically it said human experiment or human whatever, um, progressing, and date of report, and it was, the date was 800 years in our future. And... Wow. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it's it's fascinating to, to read the whole thing. Um, I think there was more in the message, and he has another book, obviously, but, but uh, it, it's... It makes sense. I could see sending a drone into the into the past, trying to warn people about stuff. So um, that makes more sense to me than well, aliens, well, well, for sure. I've had that thought myself. I I don't bring aliens into it, but but uh, after studying uh, Egypt and Mesopotamia and and, and myths for the past uh, twenty twenty five years. Uh, I do have have a good vision of of creation in my mind, and uh-huh. it started out with water. I mean, our our planet is a water planet. I mean, it's it's eighty percent water. We're we're eighty uh-huh. percent water. There, there there's no doubt about that. And and I understand how everything works, how the the electric universe and the uh, electric currents have a habit. As they increase in energy, they have a habit of pinching themselves and creating plasmoids. And these uh-huh. plasmoids create their own magnetic elect- electromagnetic fields and become their own thing. 
And I can see how our planet is being born out of what's called a, an electromagnetic Z-pitch to create a plasmoid. And as long as that plasmoid is being fed, you know, by Birkeland currents, uh, those are those are, are, are twin currents moving through space. How that planet is being fed, or star for that matter, is being fed by Birkeland currents. That it's creating matter. I, I mean, this seems to be what happens when 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 electricity is being moved and amplified through a system like a planet or a star. It actually creates so, matter. So I can so see our a, planet being created. Go ahead. Yeah, but in a way, the energy that all of us are magnifying is in many ways feeding the planet. Well, that, it's the planet's feeding us. We are actually part of the planet. Yeah. We're, wow. We're, we're, <clears throat> we, we, are, we are actually growth a growth out of the planet, just like all the animals and, and plants are. Okay, but, cool. but 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 what I what I was getting to is that is that the ancient Egyptians said, and I have to paraphrase because I don't remember I don't know remember identically how it's said, but the ancient Egyptians said that when creation occurred, everything for life was in the water. Everything. Huh. Okay, so so this is this is where I kind of unload myself at is okay. I understand physically how our planet was born and how you know we have an electromagnetic shield and the atmosphere and all that, and then we have life. However, the monster question is, where did the DNA come from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that that makes for another radio show. I just noticed the time. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you so much for for sharing your time with me. I know you're really busy. Um, you're very welcome, Barbara. It's a pleasure. But this is this has been a lot of fun. I sent you an email with with what it is I've got, and if you want it, you know, let me know. Um, I want to thank you and thank you for all your work and thank you for all your books and. Thank you for making people think and wonder and hopefully research. Um, but I do, I do hope to get you on again uh, to to take this further. Of course, I have to read another oh, book. Oh, it's it's a, I I would love to. This this book I'm working on right now, I'm about eighty three thousand words in. I, I hope to have it submitted by uh, by May of of twenty twenty one. And and this, this this next book is really I've got the goods for this next book. Uh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I have the well, proof. I, I I have the proof that the Mesopotamians were actually tracking and writing down the planets' movements. Okay, we're it's, gonna have it's, to talk. And, and, yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. The evidence has always been there, Barbara. It's people yeah. have ignored it. Well, well, I will. I will be checking in with you. I've got to scoot because my time is up here. So thank you again, and uh, I will be in touch. And thank you.